Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is obviously Friday night, and it is June the 7th, 2019. And as always, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to speak with you to catch up on the lunacy of the preceding week or this past week. Uh, And boy, there was so much to talk about, beginning, of course, with the president's uh, threat to use tariffs as a means of getting Mexico to finally work cooperatively with the United States to end the massive caravans of illegal aliens that have been running all the way from Central America through Mexico to the U.S. border. And last month, the month of May, over 144,000 illegal aliens were apprehended and or turned themselves into Border Patrol agents, overwhelming a system that could not deal with its quote-unquote normal workloads. This is a, a gargantuan flood of humanity, and it is undermining national security, public safety, public health. Um, it is really highlighting how broken the immigration system is and how incapable the United States is to protect itself from people who have no lawful right to be in the United States. We're going to be starting with that, but before we do that, I just want to remind all of you to please check out my website. It's michaelcutler.net, C-U-T-L-E-R. You probably know about it if you're listening to my program. I also have been writing for years for a wonderful online website, Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Very proud to be affiliated with David Horowitz and the Freedom Center and to be a regular contributor to frontpagemag.com. I've written for the social contract. You can see many of my articles up on their website, including the latest one or the last one that I did for them, Sanctuary Country Immigration Failures by Design. And we'll get into that too, because it's all part of the same story, part of the same mosaic. We just need to put all the pieces together. Finally, of late, I have been writing within the past month or so for an old friend, Dennis Michael Lynch, a documentarian. I've appeared in several of his documentaries that uh, share the common name of They Come to America, dmlnews.com. And then uh, he and I uh, videotape, well, actually audio tape a podcast of the discussions that we have about the articles that I've written or the most pressing immigration-related issues of the day. But you can find all of that, again, at dmlnews.com. 
Uh, and again, if you're familiar with me, then you know why I'm here and why I'm doing this. If you're new to my website, to my program, I welcome you. And I want you to know that I have been a man on a mission to try to wake up as many of our fellow Americans and our alleged alleged political leaders. Boy, there's a contradiction in terms, huh? Political leader. Uh, about the perils we face because of failures of border security and failures of the immigration system. And, and I want to be clear, this isn't a left-right issue. Full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. How in the world can you be pro-labor, which is why I'm a Democrat on paper? can't tell you the last time I voted for a Democrat, but I don't find too many heroes on the Republican side of the equation either. If you really want to find collusion, Look no further than the gang of eight. I came to call them the eight gangsters with Schumer and, and, uh, and McCain and, and all the others on both sides of the aisle. Oh, we're going to have comprehensive immigration reform. Sure we are. We're going to get these aliens out of the shadows. No, we're going to get them into the waiting rooms of law firms. Let's remember that you have immigration lawyers on both sides of the political aisle. This is a massive effort to employ every possible lawyer in America. Why chase ambulances when you can chase coyotes? Coyotes, for those of you not familiar with it, by the way, is the term used by the Latino community to describe alien smugglers, human traffickers. They call them coyotes. You might be interested to know that in the same street jargon, the same vernacular, smuggled aliens also have a name, a name and it's an aim of an animal. Poyos, chickens. Why do you think they call smuggled aliens chickens and the smugglers coyotes? Guess what coyotes dine on? Chickens. This is a parasitic relationship. It is dehumanizing. Um, next to terrorists, I don't know of a more pernicious and disgusting bunch of thugs than human traffickers. I was an INS agent for 30 years. I rotated through every squad within the investigations branch, including what used to be known as the anti-smuggling unit in New York City. You know, I find it remarkable. And language matters, folks. Words matter. And let's stop this crap about saying that we're being politically correct. That in itself is a deceptive term. This is Orwellian. It's right out of Newspeak. It started with Jimmy Carter saying, we're not going to call aliens aliens. We're going to call them all immigrants. So if you dare suggest we keep any immigrants out of America, then you're going to be accused of being anti-immigrants. The term alien is a legal term. Legally, under Section 101 of the Immigration and Nationality Act, an alien is defined as any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. Where in the world is the insult? Where in the world is the insult? There is no insult. This isn't the N-word, okay? This is a term that provides clarity to any conversation about immigration. And if you're a swindling con artist, if you're a swindling con artist, singular, then the last thing you want is clarity. Burglars operate in the dark, and con artists operate by swindling people, by uh, obfuscating the truth and, 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 and conning them, you know? And so the term immigrant is now being applied to anybody who enters the United States one way or the other, by hook or by crook, as my mom used to say. Well, that's nonsense. That's like saying anybody who walks out of the bank with money in his or her hand is a bank customer. Really? What about the guy that just stuck up the bank? Do you call the bank robber a bank customer? No, of course not. 
But you see, this is the equivalent. And so my position isn't anti-immigrant. The immigration system admits lawfully more than all other countries in the world combined. Last year, more than 1.1 million immigrants were admitted into the United States during the Trump administration. And I'm not a spokesman for Donald Trump. I don't agree with everything he says. I certainly have a conniption with some of his choice words that he uses. My gosh, sometimes, uh, you know, his own mouth is his worst adversary. But in point of fact, this nonsense that this is an anti-immigrant administration is one of the biggest, blazingest, stinking lies I've heard in a long time. Last year, the Trump administration, if I have the numbers correct, and I'm quite sure I do, admitted more lawful immigrants than did the Obama administration during the last year of the Obama administration. And we keep seeing it in the print all the time. Oh, Trump, anti-immigrant. Trump, anti-immigrant. Hates the immigrant. Xenophobe. I've been accused of being a xenophobe. Why? Because I said, let's enforce the immigration laws. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, that's the section that enumerates the categories of aliens to be excluded from the United States. There's not a word in there about race, religion, or ethnicity. If there was, I couldn't have enforced those laws for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years. That's about aliens with dangerous communicable diseases or mental illness. Let's remember Ellis Island was a quarantine station at the time of its completion. It was the biggest hospital complex in America. It was run by U.S. public health in conjunction with immigration authorities. So it was aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, aliens who are severely mentally ill, aliens who are criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice, aliens who have been previously deported, aliens who committed fraud in their immigration applications or visa applications, aliens who have been previously deported, obviously, uh, by the way, and we'll get into that in a moment. And then you get to aliens who would likely become a public charge, or if they work, would displace Americans, presuming that we're talking about non-immigrants. The idea is not to bring in foreign workers who would take the jobs of Americans or have an adverse impact on wages and working conditions. That's it. What in the world is wrong with saying, let's keep terrorists out of the United States? Let's keep gangbangers out of the United States? Let's keep foreign workers out of the United States if they're having a harmful impact on American workers. What in the world is wrong with seeing immigration as a means of defending Americans and America? It's about public safety, national security, public health. That's what it's about. But in this day and age of deceptive language, um, George Orwell um, would certainly have related to the incredible nonsense being foisted on us. And Twitter certainly doesn't help. You know, going off slightly uh, in Europe recently, and even the World Health Organization at the UN, and I'm not a huge fan of the UN, or at least how it's morphed into what it's morphed into, but they said that probably the worst thing that's happened is Twitter. They attribute a decrease in the average IQ of people in Europe, believe it or not, to Twitter. We've gone from being literate people who read books and volumes and can sit down for two hours and have a discussion to people with ADD. Between three-hour so-called news segments on the mainstream media and Twitter, people look at a headline and they want to move on to something else. I, I do a lot of public speaking. If anyone knows of any opportunities, you can get a hold of me through my website, michaelcutler.net. I'll be in Washington, in fact, next week 
I work for with a wonderful speaking uh, bureau in, in D.C. They do seminars for the military and the intelligence services, Alan Freed Associates. And I'll be in front of a bunch of um, senior members of the U.S. Air Force and the Navy next week in Washington. And, and, and when I go around the country, not among the military, they're, they're a special class, and boy, are they ever. And let's not forget that we just commemorated the 75th anniversary of D-Day, Operation Overlord. But if you're in front of the average audience, after about five or ten minutes, everyone's fidgeting. I think they're looking for a commercial, you know. <clears throat> we, we've, we've got serious problems. And one of the interesting things that was said about Twitter is it doesn't provide the opportunity for meaningful information to be provided. How in the world do you have a serious conversation with 144 characters? When they write articles, sometimes people will say, oh, my gosh, Mr. Cutler, your article in one magazine was 800 words. No one has time to read 800 words. I I wonder if the founding fathers were told that the Constitution – or the Declaration of Independence shouldn't run more than 800 words. We're living in a dangerous era where people are having trouble finding out what's really happening, and where all too frequently, if you have a discussion, they will tell you, the people you speak to will say, oh, I I heard that, they say, I've heard. And when you try to pin them down, they have no idea who they're even listening to or whose articles they're reading. They're clueless. There's a lot of misinformation out there, and this is not about political correctness. It's about Orwell. Eliminate the words, you eliminate the thoughts that the words represent. And so we now have a crisis on the Mexican border. And, of course, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is going nuts, and the Chamber of Commerce is saying, if there are tariffs, we're going to sue. Of course they're going to sue. The United States Chamber of Commerce, I would argue, is one of the most anti-American organizations in the United States of America. By the way, ask Ralph Nader what they did to him when he wrote his book, Unsafe at Any Speed. I had lunch with with Ralph, uh, with Mr. Nader, I guess I should say, out of deference. Um, He's also one of the regular speakers uh, over at Alan Freed, so we had lunch two years ago. And I remember uh, teasing him. I said, "Uh, what's your opinion of the Chamber of Commerce? And he started to cough and he pointed to his throat he said are you trying to make me choke and everyone at the table kind of laughed they put him through hell the chamber of commerce is driven by only one thing and one thing alone and that's greed when i've testified before congress with individuals linked to the chamber of commerce or their related satellite groups i've always heard the same nonsense mr cutler you better stop talking about border security that border is an impediment to my wealth. And I say, well, you know, it's also an impediment, our first and last line of defense against international terrorists, transnational criminals. And they wag their finger and they go, ah, people are going to die no matter what, but you are interfering with my wealth. With my wealth. Wow. Wow. It's so infuriating to me that we are witnessing an era of greed And I really think it's probably unparalleled in the history of our nation. I've never seen more greed than we're seeing now. Greed for wealth, greed for power. There's a war being waged, a political war between the two parties and the administration. And the administration. And the casualties in this war, the collateral damage in this war, 
are we the people, innocent lives, people that are killed by the gangs, by the drugs, the threat of terrorism? We're the casualties of their war, and they don't care. Because to the globalists, the dead bodies appear to be nothing more than speed bumps. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is far more fixated on head counts on airliners and baseball stadiums and theaters than they are with body counts in the morgue. That's a problem. And what I find remarkable, and I'm going to be writing about this, for those of you who have followed the dreadful uh, disaster in Florida, um, the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida last year, which resulted in the death of 17 people, mostly children, and the wounding of 17 others. I believe I have the numbers correct. Well, this past week, the deputy sheriff, who was supposed to be the resource officer at school, an armed officer, former deputy sheriff, has been arrested and charged with 11 crimes, mostly involving um, the damage done to the children, the death of the children. Plus, they threw in for good measure that he lied about what he did. There were videos, because I guess he forgot there were surveillance cameras. I don't want to get into the discussion of this criminal prosecution that's ongoing. I don't want to muddy the waters. I don't want to throw bricks at anybody. I'm a great believer in our criminal justice system. Having been a law enforcement officer for 30 years, uh, we all enjoy the presumption of innocence until we're either convicted by trial or plead guilty to a charge. So he enjoys, under our Constitution, the presumption of innocence. But, but here's something that I, I have to say to you, and I said it earlier today on a couple of other radio programs, um, and I think that the comparison is reasonable. 17 people were killed, 17 wounded, because it is alleged, it is alleged that this deputy sheriff failed to act. Failed to act. Another school resource officer was fired. Same reason, but I guess his actions weren't seen as egregious by the authorities as was the actions or failure to act by the one who's now being prosecuted. And suddenly, I I saw an analogy, a comparison. We're losing tens of thousands of people to opiate overdoses, much of the drugs coming across the Mexican border. It's believed that 80,000 people died of opiate overdoses in the United States this past year. Now, some of them were prescription drugs. I get that. But the point is we're talking about mass carnage. We know there are children being killed by MS-13. And by the way, who's getting killed by MS-13? Primarily Latino children, members of the ethnic Latino immigrant community. And we see this in other communities. Asian organized crime tend to kill Asians. Uh, The Russian mob tends to kill Russians. When the Italian mob came to America, the first group that felt their violence were the Italian immigrants. Same thing with the Israeli mob, the Jamaican drug posses, the Colombian cartels. Usually the people who are most likely to suffer the violence are the people who live within those communities. That's where these thugs live and operate. And you realize that we're not just talking about Mexicans or Latinos. Anybody who thinks Latinos, because of their race, are different from all other Americans is an idiot and, by definition, a racist. When you hear this crap on TV, well, if the president wants to appeal to the Latino voter, he's got to open up the borders. Really? So, in other words, Latinos are praying that their children will go to school with MS-13 and be recruited the way some parents would like to have their kids recruited by a sports league? Are you serious? 
But this is all part and parcel of this Orwellian crap that's being peddled in the media. The pollsters, half those polls are totally biased. They ask questions in such a way where you can almost predict the outcome before the questions are asked. It's astonishing. And I love when they say, we conducted a scientific survey. What does that mean? You're holding a test tube in your hand when you ask people questions? Scientific survey. It is all skewed. It's all about greed. It's all about flooding America. Because the immigration system isn't broken. You know, when you're hearing politicians, and this mostly comes from the left, there's no crisis on the border. This isn't an emergency. Really. So if you think that 144,000 illegal aliens being arrested or turning themselves into the Border Patrol just in one month doesn't constitute a crisis or an emergency. And let's remember, we know who was arrested and or turned themselves in. Meanwhile, as the Border Patrol is busy dealing with that human tsunami, many of those agents are off of line watch, leaving the border less defended. We have no idea who's getting in that we don't know about. And, you know, I've made this analogy forever, and and having just observed the 75th anniversary of D-Day yesterday, I I have to make this analogy once again. I want you to think about this. For those of you who are familiar with Operation Overlord, D-Day, which was uh, largely run by uh, one of my favorite presidents and generals, Dwight Eisenhower, during the Second World War, the generals, Eisenhower and and the allies, realized that if they simply attempted to attack in Normandy, and by the way, it wasn't a one-day deal. It was just a a wonderful documentary. I mean, wonderful in terms of telling history. Horrible to watch because you see all the dead bodies and all the violence. They called it, I believe it was 85 days in hell because the carnage didn't end after D-Day. It just began. As the, as the Allied forces pushed into France, trying to liberate France. So the D, D-Day was the beginning of the end, not, not simply the end. It was the beginning of the end for the Nazis. But the Allies realized that if they simply did a full frontal assault at Normandy, the Germans would have repelled them. It would have been a bloodbath. As it was, 10,000 were killed. How many were injured? God only knows. What incredible, valiant young men, many of them barely out of their teens, if they were out of their teens, who died on the beaches. Think about that. But they realized that Germany was strong enough to repel the invasion if they simply charged into Normandy. So they created a subterfuge known as Operation Fortitude, the Calais Deception. The Allies went through an elaborate plan, including taking the body of a poor dead soldier, Putting, it, putting him into a suit and handcuffing a briefcase to his wrist with bogus top-secret documents that were designed to look like a battle plan to attack through Calais, and they fired that dead soldier through a torpedo tube on a U.S. submarine that stood just off the coast of Germany, and the hope was that his body would wash up, the Germans would find the body, get a hold of that briefcase and think they discovered a treasure trove of intelligence. And it worked. And they added to that putting General Patton in charge of basically his own army with basically no soldiers. They used inflated, uh, basically, balloons that from the air looked like tanks and trucks and tents. 
and during the dead of night, because they didn't have night vision back then, they would take tank tracks and make tracks in the sand so that it wasn't like you just plunked the, the tanks down. So if you looked at the sand, you could see all these tank and tire tracks in the sand. So it looked as though all these vehicles had been driven to that location and they were massing in preparation to attack through Calais. It was successful. The Germans had to divide their forces. Some of their forces were taken from Normandy and sent over to protect from Calais. And that's the reason we were able to succeed in overwhelming the Germans, because we were able to divide their resources. I want you to think about that. 60 Minutes ran a piece about what's going on in Me- on the Mexican border. I believe they were focusing in El Paso, and I've been to El Paso. Bullets have flown across the U.S.-Mexican border from El Paso, because opposite El Paso in Mexico is Ciudad Juarez, the most violent city, arguably, in all of Latin America. Ciudad Juarez. So um, the, the report at 60 Minutes was that 40% of the Border Patrol agents in that sector are not on line watch, but they're dealing with the aliens in custody. So we've now reduced the number of agents securing that dangerous border by 40% to deal with the onslaught of aliens who have been taken into custody repeatedly. Very worrying. Remember, it only took 19 hijackers on September 11, 2001, to kill many more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And the death count from 9-11 continues to increase because roughly every week to 10 days now, primarily first responders who were exposed to the toxins that were released when the World Trade Center imploded, collapsed. Nearly uh, one uh, uh, a week or, or every 10 days is now dying because of those toxins. There's a drug bill. I believe was $6 billion funds to treat people who were sickened by those toxins. Zadruga was a New York City police officer believed to be the first to succumb to those toxins. And the, the money is running out for the Zadruga bill. It is, we're now up to tens of thousands of people who've been sickened, tens of thousands. And who did this? 19 terrorists, barely out of their teens. Think about what asymmetrical warfare really means. Think about what the two Tsarnaev brothers did in Boston at the marathon, turned that quiet town into a war zone. Look at what happened in San Bernardino. Please understand what we're talking about. Not that many people can wreak havoc on us. And in fact, there was a news report about how uh, an ISIS, would-be ISIS fighter was captured in Syria and he is of a Canadian and Trinidadian um, nationality. He's a dual national. And they were trying to convince him to come into the United States. This was two years ago through Mexico from Central America and, and, and attack Wall Street. That border is dangerous. We know that there are terror training camps in the, in the tri-border region of Brazil, where Brazil abuts with Argentina and Paraguay. Um, I've written about it. I've spoken about it on my program before. I've spoken about it elsewhere. We know that Hezbollah is working in close coordination with human traffickers and drug smugglers to flood America with drugs to destroy our children. And boy, are we doing a good job. We're also flooding, they're flooding America with people. Again, it's about money, but it's also 
about opportunities to embed sleeper agents in the United States. You know, right after 9-11, they kept saying they, they have to be careful. Uh, prior administrations, President Bush said it, Obama said it, in order, to be, in order to be successful, the terrorists only have to get it right once. For us to be safe, our people need to be right 100% of the time. Every alien who enters the United States legally or illegally provides that one opportunity for the terrorists to get it right. That's why border security is so essential. That's why the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, made it clear that border security is national security. If we could have kept the terrorists out of the United States, 9-11 wouldn't have happened. It's just common sense. And I've testified before numerous hearings. I testified twice with Sheila Jackson Lake. The first time was in March of 2002 when everyone Tara was discovered that two of the dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta, the ringleader, and another one of his cohorts, Marwan al-Shehi, had been granted authorization to attend flight school, of all things, six months after the attacks. So by then, the whole damn world knew that those two pieces of garbage were dead and they were terrorists, but leave it to immigration to screw up. Jackson Lee invited me. It was seconded by Jim Sensenbrenner, who at the time was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. I testified subsequently for Sheila Jackson Lee on the issue of uh, alien smuggling, and I convinced her that we need to not only look at the Mexican border, but the visa process. And I told her through a memo that I wrote that the visa process, in essence, moves America's borders out to the embassies and consulates where the visas are issued, just the way that you put a fence at the furthest extremity of your property if you want to protect your property. You don't lean the fence against the wall of your house. You put it at the farthest extremity of, of your land. And it's interesting because they then use the phrase pushing the borders out for the title of that hearing, and it became highly focused on the visa process. So immigration has many moving parts, and sanctuary cities do everything possible to undermine national security, public safety, and and, and operate in violation not only of law and common sense, but the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. So a couple of minutes ago, I was talking about what happened in Florida with those students who were killed. And you have a, a resource officer being made accountable for what he did and didn't do. And suddenly the parallel occurred to me. Think of what I just told you about the threats posed by the terrorists and so forth. You have Congress unwilling to secure the border. And by the way, a fence by itself is not the answer. But the fence has to be an element, a component of a cohesive, a coherent program. You know, security is done in layers. You don't just put a lock on your front door. You put a lock on your back door. You put in burglar alarms. You change the lighting, you get shrubs and you trim them if they, if they block the view from the street to your house. There's a lot of things that we do to protect property. So you have to understand that a border wall by itself won't work. I compare a border wall to a wing on an airplane. Without the wing, the airplane doesn't fly, but the wing by itself goes nowhere. Well, back in 2006, I believe it was, Congress voted for a fence act. Fence was never built. I predicted it back then it wouldn't be built. It's all talk, all bluff, all bluster, and at the end of the day, the immigration system has become a delivery system. It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, and there's no compassion and exploitation. I used to raid the sweatshops. I used to raid the farms. The conditions that I saw sickened me that people could treat other human beings that way. 
As one illegal alien said when we both testified before a state hearing in Indiana, he said to me, Mr. Cutler, he told me I was the first American to talk about how terribly they're treated. He said, if you treated a dog the way we're treated, you go to jail. He said, but what they do to us is so horrible, and no matter what, nothing happens to them. Think about that. So we have all of this going on. No wall. If we had a wall, you wouldn't have people charging the border because they would realize it's futile. And don't let anyone give you this garbage. Well, if you build a 20-foot wall, they'll come with 25-foot ladders or they'll dig a tunnel. Of course, people will find a way around barriers. The idea is to get the numbers low enough that you can deal with them. You're not going to have hundreds of thousands of people with ladders running for the border. But when you get to the border and all it is is two strands of barbed wire, I've been there. I've been down there. I mean, it's almost silly. It's ridiculous. I was at Bay Buchanan, and there was a strand of barbed wire, so we hopped over the barbed wire, took a picture of ourselves standing two inches into Mexico, and then we came back across the barbed wire. It was that easy. So you tell me if that is supposed to be an impediment to prevent people from coming to the United States, you see, given the circumstances we're dealing with. Congress did not give the president the, the money for the wall. He's been sued at every turn. They've been invoking injunctions to prevent him from changing how we deal with political asylum. And I'm very sensitive to political asylum. You know, my family was decimated in the Holocaust. When I was in, in high school and college, I went to the LBJ White House because we were hoping that he could convince the Russians to let Jews and other religious minorities leave Russia, come to America so they could be free. I can tell you it was an honor and a privilege to be an immigration inspector at the beginning of my career at Kennedy Airport and admit refugees into the United States. These people walked into the International Arrival Building, and some of them literally dropped to their knees and kissed the floor of the terminal. Think about that. Then they came up to me and hugged me and kissed me on the cheek. They cried. I cried with them. My grandmother, my mother's mother, died in Poland because of our religion. I have no problem with political asylum. However... Not when we don't know who we're dealing with, and not when we know these applications are bogus. Well over 80% of the applications are denied. Many of these aliens don't even show up. They yell political asylum, they're given a hearing date, and they're in the wind, and nobody's looking for them because we don't have the agents, because Congress has never hired the agents. Both parties did this. George W. Bush made immigration so ineffective when he created DHS that I came to call DHS not the Department of Homeland Security, but the Department of Homeland Surrender. And John Hostetler, a Republican chairman of the House Immigration Committee, agreed with me. He had the guts to stand up to a Republican president, as did all the others, because they understood the dangers. But over time, and when Citizens United was decided, and all this money has been pouring into political campaign coffers, we now have the best government money combined. The hell with the dead bodies, the hell with the threat of terrorism, full speed ahead. So it dawned on me that if a sheriff's deputy, a resource officer in a school could be prosecuted because his failure to act resulted in 17 young people being killed, how do politicians act with impunity? How do prisons release criminal aliens even when ICE lodges detainers and those aliens go on to kill people? There was just a horrible story, and I wrote about it for Front Page Magazine in Prince George's County. Two aliens, 
members of MS-13, or believed to be members of MS-13, were arrested. They were charged with attempted murder, with conspiracy to commit murder, with robbery and other crimes. ICE lodged a detainer, and they let these guys walk out. I believe the prosecution was still ongoing. Um, I don't want to misspeak about that, but the point was they were illegal aliens. Sleeper agents, by the way, have no criminal histories. That's why they call them sleepers. They don't jaywalk. They don't spit on the sidewalk. They don't disagree with anybody. They smile at everybody, and they're going about deadly preparations to kill us. And they make sure that they never violate the law because that's a tactic. That's why we call them sleepers. You don't know they're there until their, their alarm clock goes off, until they're tapped on the shoulder or they get an email or whatever. There's a communication issue to them that activates them. So when you have local authorities taking it on themselves, and, and the excuse in Princess George County was, oh, well, they weren't arrested for really serious crimes. I, I want everyone just stop and think. You arrest two individuals believed to be part of MS-13, one of the most violent and pernicious gangs in the world. You charge them with attempted murder and conspiracy to commit murder and robbery. Not serious crimes. What the hell is a serious crime? I want someone to redefine serious crime. I kind of thought attempted murder, it's kind of up there. But what do I know? These two thugs are released. Within days, they located a 14-year-old girl. I'm going to guess from my own experience because I began investigating MS-13. I hate to admit it, way back in 1991. And most of their victims are members of the Latino ethnic immigrant community because that's where they live. That's where they operate. And they got a hold of her because they thought that she would go to the police and tell the police about all of their gang-related activities. So they made sure she couldn't talk to anybody. They went after her with knives and baseball bats and killed her. She's dead. She's as dead as one of those children in that school in Florida. And nothing is being done to the people that release these thugs back onto the street. And this is not an isolated case. Time and again, time and again, time and again. Released murder. You saw it with Kate Steinle in California. We can go down a list. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. This is a routine matter every single day across America in so-called sanctuary cities. These aren't sanctuary cities. They're magnet cities. Again, this isn't political correctness. It's Orwellian. Control language. You control thoughts because human beings think with words. If you can control the language, you can control the thoughts. That's what this is all about. So I I started digging around, and, and, and so... I believe that the politicians and the officials in these jails and so forth are guilty of malfeasance. Let's see what you think. Here's a definition that I found for malfeasance. The performance by a public official of an act that is legally unjustified, harmful, or contrary to law. I think what we have here, folks, is malfeasance. The law says under Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1324, that anybody who harbors, shields, aids, abets, encourages, induces aliens to enter the U.S. illegally or remain illegally thereafter is committing a felony. And it's remarkable because we're talking about immigration and felonies. 
if you listen to the mainstream media, and I wrote about that for another article, again, this is what you're not going to see or hear in the mainstream media, how many times, I'd ask you to raise your hand, but I can't see you, so don't bother. But it's a thought question. How many times have you heard the media say, oh, running the border isn't the crime, it's a civil violation, right? It's a civil, not even a crime. It's up there with jaywalking and spitting on the sidewalk, right? Okay, so let's set the record straight. Let me explain how this works. Immigration law enforcement, something that I did for 30 years, and I actually worked with Al D'Amato to create the aggravated felon reentry law that makes unlawful reentry by criminal aliens a crime punishable by up to 20 years in jail. So immigration law has two types of law, administrative law, what the nitwits call civil law, and criminal law, just like any other crime. Now, there's a reason why we have two sets of laws for immigration. Administratively, aliens who are here illegally, that is to say they enter illegally, they enter with an assumed identity, or they run the border, which, by the way, isn't entering undocumented. That's not even a real term, undocumented, right? The bank robber made an undocumented withdrawal. Does that make sense to anybody here? The motorist didn't have a license, so he's an undocumented driver. Really? Do you hear this anyplace else? They're trespassing. Chuck Schumer, by the way, back in 2015, I believe, proposed a new federal law that would make trespass on critical infrastructure or national landmarks a federal crime with a five-year jail sentence. He said the one year that they face in New York, for example, trespassers, isn't enough to deter dangerous activity, especially, he said, when you have people from other countries coming to America who might want to hurt us. Schumer's right. Schumer's right. But the same Schumer and his playmates on both sides of the political aisle say, well, when you trespass on America, the debate now is do we give you citizenship or only permission to work here and bring your family here? Why are you rewarding trespassing? That's really what we're discussing at a minimum is trespassing, isn't it? So anyway, we, we have a situation where aliens are coming to the United States. They're here illegally. They're being released, and, and they pose a threat to our safety. And you have both political parties in, in cahoots with each other because the Democrats are saying, let's give them a path to citizenship. And the Republicans are saying, oh, no, we're tough. No citizenship for them. Meanwhile, people are dying. And every time they talk about how we're going to give people who are here illegally permission to remain, you're encouraging more illegal immigration. So with the crisis on the border, guess what the Congress did this past week? The Democratic-controlled Congress just approved legislation for a new DREAM Act, and the age cutoff would be 18. That is, the aliens have to claim they came before they were 18. But you see, the original DREAM Act covered age 35, and Obama's DACA went to age 31. Well, why would you want to make it 35 if we're talking about children? Because it was never about the children. These, this is the con artistry of all of this. This is a big con game, and both parties are in on it because both parties are taking money from the Chamber of Commerce, from all sorts of organizations. It's the Chamber of Commerce that gave us the visa waiver program even after 9-11. They've expanded it. The visa waiver program was a terrible idea given to us by Ronald Reagan. Both political parties. 
Reagan also included a confidentiality provision in the amnesty that he gave us so that we could not, as immigration agents, share immigration files for amnesty with any other law enforcement agency. And if you did, you were committing a five-year felony. So, for example, the FBI came to me and said, Mike, so I had a desk at the FBI for 10 years. I was part of the drug task force, as they were. So I had a desk at the FBI, DEA, ATF. So if an agent came to me and said, Mike, we're investigating this guy. What have you got in the file? You would turn it over, unless it was the amnesty file. That file, you couldn't show anybody if you didn't want to go to jail for five years. Think about it. So we now get back to this notion about the two sets of laws. The administrative laws deal with illegal aliens by removing them, deporting them from the United States. That's the administrative, the civil side. But the criminal side is no different from any other crimes. Okay? So, for example, the alien who reenters after deportation with no criminal history still faces two years in jail. The alien who has a serious criminal history faces up to 20 years in jail. An alien who commits visa fraud, lies on a visa, is committing a felony that carries a minimum of 10, a, a, a maximum of 10 years in jail, unless the alien came to commit a crime, which ratchets it up to 15 years in jail. If the crime involves drugs, we go to 20 years. If an alien commits visa fraud in conjunction with terrorism, the maximum penalty is 25 years in jail. If an alien is smuggled into the United States and the alien dies, the alien smuggler faces life in prison. Are you hearing this in the mainstream media? No. This is civil law. It's not a big deal. Running the border is like jaywalking. Baloney. Baloney. But this is not what the media wants you to know. It's not what either party wants you to know because they're in on it. If you want to look for collusion, folks, look at the Democrats and Republicans throwing up their hands and saying, well, if we can't deport all these people, then we've got to give them legal status. Really? What laws get enforced more than a, a fraction of a percent? How many times have you exceeded the speed limit? I always exceed the speed limit, maybe not by a lot, but if I'm on the highway and the speed limit is 50 and I'm going 60, I'm speeding. Can't tell you the last time I was pulled over. And how many times have I watched someone else get pulled over, which is rare, and, 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 and meanwhile everyone else is zipping by. So the point is our laws are not enforced all that vigorously. But no one has ever said, let's have amnesty for speeders, let's have amnesty for drunk drivers. No, you go out there and say, if we catch you, we're going to take your car, we're going to take your license, we're going to take your money, we're going to take your freedom, we're going to get tough. And they lowered the acceptable blood alcohol level because people were dying. No one said, gee whiz, there's so many people who like to drink and drive, we can't do anything about it. Same thing with texting while driving. How many cops are out there? But meanwhile, you look at the public service announcements. You have the idea that if you reach for your phone, SWAT is going to descend on your car with long guns and pull you out of your sunroof, right? If you text and drive, we will find you. You ever hear anyone saying, gee whiz, we can't do anything about it? No. Law enforcement is a game of psychological warfare. You convince people that we're serious about the law, unless it's immigration. So, Think of the first impression. You know, our immigration laws, and I said this at one of my very first congressional hearings, 
I testified, I think, in the, before the House Judiciary, the House Subcommittee on Immigration, one of those. They've been before 17, I believe, 17 hearings now in both the House and Senate. Although I suspect I won't be getting any more invitations. I, I think I've infuriated enough people on both sides of the aisle. I'm an equal opportunity insulter. But I said, you know, the immigration laws provide that first impression that millions of people from around the world have of the United States. First impression, first laws of the immigration laws. And what are you, what are you seeing in the media? Let's end ICE. We don't need borders. We don't need border patrol. It's not right to lock up illegal aliens. It's not right to separate families. So what's the message to the world? America is a pushover. If you are a criminal, if you are a fugitive, if you are a terrorist, as they used to say on the old prices, right, come on down. We'd love to have you. We've changed laws to make it less difficult, or more difficult, rather, for immigration to deport people. There was actually a legislator in the New York State Senate saying that they're going too strong on people who drive with no license. He said, people do things. Why are we making it such a terrible thing? You want to be on the highway with somebody with no license, but with a drunk driver? The politicians in both parties, both parties, have a love affair with people who enter America illegally, even if they're drug dealers and criminals. El Chapo Guzman was arrested and prosecuted. He was arrested and brought to New York to stand trial for drug trafficking because New York is where his base of operations were, all the way from Mexico. And earlier this week, another alleged cohort of El Chapo Guzman was arrested with 50 pounds of fentanyl in the Bronx, smuggled clear from, from smuggled into the United States and driven clear across the country to New York to the Bronx. It's impacting every town, every city. 20 people, it's now estimated, 20 people every month die of opiate overdoses in the Bronx, just the Bronx, 20 people. But nobody's being prosecuted. The sheriff's deputy is being prosecuted because he, in the opinion of the authorities, failed to act, and his failure caused the deaths of those children. Horrible situation. How many thousands of people are dying every year because the Congress won't do its job to provide the money for a wall, money for more agents, changes in the law to make the laws easier to enforce, get rid of the nonsense that's making it more difficult and endangering our safety? Look at the 9-11 Commission report. Then you have the sanctuary cities. You have people dying in sanctuary cities. But unlike that deputy sheriff, I can assure you, no one's going to arrest Governor Cuomo, who calls ICE agents thugs. And by the way, those words have impact. Assaults on immigration agents have skyrocketed since these people have been running their mouths. By the way, you should know that immigration provides a second largest contingent of federal law enforcement officers to the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Because every international terrorist who comes to the United States violates multiple sections of the immigration laws. Think of what a wonderful weapon it is. If the sanctuary cities, which also tend to have the strictest laws on guns, if they really want to get the guns out of the hands of criminals, do you know that an illegal alien found in possession of a firearm is looking at 10 years in jail? You got an illegal alien? He's got a gun. If you can trace the gun and it crossed the state line since manufacture or was imported into the United States, that alien is looking at 10 years in jail. Ammunition, same story. Why wouldn't you want to do that? 
If you want to get the guns off the street, especially get it out of the hands of dangerous, crazy people, ICE agents could help you. Ten years in jail. I've made numerous arrests, illegal aliens in possession of firearms. They keep increasing the penalty. Why would you not want to use that? You know, one of the things that most people don't realize is how task forces work. So I will tell you, because I was part of a task force for half my career, the drug task force, first DEA intelligence and then the drug task force. Everyone sits around at the table. We target an investig- a, a, a criminal organization, and where we were was mostly uh, drug trafficking. It could be terrorists also. And everyone says, okay, Mike, what can you offer us with your immigration authority? And I show how the application of my laws can help to arrest people, get them off the street, reentry after deportation. It's a slam dunk. The beauty of it, you could take a bad guy off the street as part of a criminal or terrorist organization, and his cohorts have no idea that working with me is a squad of FBI or DEA agents. As far as they know, their buddy just got arrested because he's an illegal alien, and he reentered illegally, and now he's being prosecuted. Meanwhile, the guy is on ice. He's going nowhere. He's in jail. We could put together murder cases, smuggling cases, drug cases, terrorists. He's a captive audience. His buddies have no idea that we're investigating him because of the other crimes. It's a wonderful tactic. You know, Al Capone was arrested for tax evasion. He was involved with murder and bootlegging and extortion and prostitution and guns and you name it. And he did it. They couldn't land the glove on him. He was the, the, the Teflon Don of his era, just like John Gotti. They got him for taxes. If you really want to go after criminal organizations, why in the world wouldn't you want to bring immigration into the battle? Because these people are all here in violation of immigration law. It's like it's, it's a turkey shoot. It's a slam dunk. But they won't do it because the compelling desire is to flood America with cheap labor. That's why when you hear people saying it's not a crisis, then they're tipping their hand. What they're telling you is they are happy with what is happening on the border. They are happy. And look at the impact that it has. Number one, we wind up with lots of people, some of whom may well be criminals and terrorists. Just because you fingerprint somebody doesn't mean anything. In the movies, as soon as the fingerprints go in, bells, whistles go off, and we know who we Very often it doesn't happen. I can tell you of cases where the police ran fingerprints, came back with no record. In one particular case, two Trinidadians, and I ran the prints federally, and it turned out they were about to go on the FBI's 10 most wanted list because they had pulled off a string of deadly bank robberies where they walked into a bank and started spraying bullets. So we don't really know who many of these people are, especially if they're coming from third world countries. And it's not just people from Central America. We're getting people in these caravans and from the border who are coming into the United States from all over the world, including countries that sponsor terrorism. Think about that. And go back to what I said before. They caught 144,000. Who didn't they catch last month? Who didn't they catch? While the patrol is busy with 144,000, God knows who or what came across our borders, because those borders are much less defended now. Understand the problem that we have. So in the task force, you try to use whatever resources you have to accomplish the goal. And what's the goal? To dismantle the criminal, terrorist, drug trafficking, human trafficking organizations. And by the way, when you hear the lies, oh, the aliens won't come forward if immigration's involved. That's nonsense. One of my key responsibilities as a member of the Drug Task Force, and before that as a member of the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA, 
was to use immigration authority to cultivate informants and cooperating witnesses. My friends at the FBI and DEA had very deep pockets. The FBI could throw money at a case like you wouldn't believe. They basically have a printing press in the basement cranking out money. Immigration didn't. But what I did have was the authority to get visas for aliens who cooperated or who were victims of crimes. And again, the lie is immigration is going to come in and take the girl that was raped and beaten and pull her out of the hospital and put her on an airplane. Big die. Never happened, never would happen, never will happen. Okay? And if that girl cooperates with the police to catch the person who did it to her, we can get her a visa so she, she can stay here. If they were really concerned about the well-being of the aliens, they would be insisting that the aliens co-op with local law enforcement to make the streets of those ethnic immigrant communities safer and to help those who were victims of crime to be able to legally stay in the United States. Everybody wins. You're not hearing that in the news media, are you? This is the battle we're facing, folks. This is the battle that we face. And meanwhile, children are being kidnapped. The discussion is, oh, they're being rented out. No, they're not. They're probably being kidnapped. And these children, another case just happened again with a young child brought into the country by an illegal alien who first claimed to be the child's parent. Turned out he wasn't. So if you want to talk about families being separated, they're not being separated at the border. Many of them are being separated long before they get to the border. So they can use these children as a substitute for a visa because of the Flores decision. 20 days, and you've got to release the alien if they come with a child. This is something that President Trump was trying to fight, but the courts blocked him. And the Congress would do nothing to help him, except to pass a DREAM Act that incentivizes more young people to head for the U.S. border. And by the way, how do you know who those people are or when they got here? Because there would be so many people involved, millions, the Democrats admit that their program would involve two million. Let me tell you what that means. No interviews. Forget about any possible meaningful field investigations. Everything will be done on paper or on the computer. The alien claims when he or she came here. If the numbers match, they're in. That simple. So please understand, we have a crisis. The president is going after the tariffs, and the word, as as I got on the air just now, is that there's been an agreement between the United States and Mexico. I hope so, but I will tell you what, if Mexico agrees to help us, which would be wonderful, the Chamber of Commerce is going to have a conniption, because I think they were more concerned about that possibility of Trump cutting a deal with Mexico than with Trump having to resort to the tariffs. That's how screwed up it is. We are at war with terrorists and transnational gangs, and people are dying. And if you compare this era to the era of the greatest generation, those who fought and died to defend America during the Second World War, the equivalent would have been back then for the Republicans to have denied Roosevelt the atom bomb to end the war. Because apparently, no matter what, the globalists in both parties are determined to block Trump's every move because their goal is to make sure that he doesn't get reelected for another term. They want open borders at any cost. And that cost is the human cost. The kids and the people who are dying because of drug overdoses, because of the violence in the streets, the homelessness rate soaring through the roof, because as you bring in more people, you increase the demand for housing. 
as you increase demand for any commodity, you drive up the price. We're all paying one hell of a price so that very wealthy and very greedy globalists get what they want while they undermine America's national security, public safety, public health, and the dreams of Americans. Uh, we hear so much about the alien dreamers. By the way, the alien dreamer is alien. That terrible word we're not supposed to use. Everyone seems to have forgotten that Americans have dreams also. Um, anyway, I thank you for joining me. And please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Please get involved. If you like my articles, if you like the program, let your friends know about it. Share my links to my articles and, this, and my website and my radio show. And we'll see you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a wonderful evening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.